Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Tell Me the Truth, we're asking big questions and turning to God's Word for big answers. Today's speaker is student minister Aaron Adams. Good morning, Mount Carmel. If I haven't met you before, my name is Aaron. I'm so thankful that you chose to be here uh, this morning. This is awesome. So if you've been around here for at least the past month, and you know we sent a, a very large team from Mount Carmel and Parkside to Houston, Texas. 114 people went to Houston, Texas a few weeks back. It was an awesome trip. Um, we were there to, to work on homes, to work with families that have been directly affected by the floods incurred by Hurricane Harvey, and a lot, of, a lot of work was accomplished. A lot of excellent work was accomplished. It's also really hot in Houston, Texas in July. Uh, yeah, yeah, amen to that. Um, the mosquitoes were vicious, but there was a lot to be proud of that happened. I loved hearing and seeing stories happen, relationships developed. It's awesome. One of my favorite things to do uh, is be a part of one of those trips. But as our week became... As we're getting close to the end of our week, um, we began thinking about our trip home. We began preparing ourselves for that trip home. And for some, it was a really, really long drive home. And for others of us, it was a flight home. 77 of us on the same plane is a party. <laughs> it, is, it is crazy. I never thought I would be flying with 77 friends, um, but that's what, exactly what happened. It was crazy. Uh, we were all wearing our orange shirts and just seeing a sea of orange flow through the airport and through security and get on a plane is crazy. Definitely got some looks, some questions, whether we were going to the Houston Astros game, um, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But um, we had to return our rental vans at a certain time, which meant we were going to arrive to the airport three to four hours ahead of our departure time, which is definitely earlier than you normally would show up for the airport. But that's exactly what we needed to do. And so we get there and we get our boarding passes quickly. Uh, and then comes security. And for me, uh, my biggest anxiety of the trip was making sure we didn't get anybody detained in security. <laughs> There's 77 people and that's 77 problems that could happen. And so it was like, I just hope we can get everybody through. And thankfully, we got everybody through without any crazy hiccups or anything like that. And as we get through security, you can see the exhaustion for people. It's been a beneficial week. It's been a great week, but people are tired. They're ready to get home and see their families sleep in their own beds. But since we had so much time, it was like, okay, you can hit every restaurant in the airport if you want. So teams of orange just were all over the airport eating lunch, and slowly but surely, people began making their way to the gate area. And that's when the naps ensued. You can see the tiredness. People are falling asleep in their chairs, sprawled out on the ground, taking naps. I should have taken a picture. It was a sight. And for me, I was, I'm just going to sit here, I'll zone in and out, I'm going to wait out this two hours, um, I'm going to put in my, my earbuds and listen to some music and, and just kind of, just wait it, wait it out. And I look up and I see my, my friend Tim Pappas heading my direction, and he is, he is walking with a purpose, like something is going on, and I'm just thinking, man, we have done so well, like what is, what is going on? And so I take out my earbud, and he quickly says to me, 
hey, um, I don't know if you just heard, but our flight just got canceled. I'm going to go see what flights Delta has. And he walks away. And so at that moment, my heart starts beating a lot faster than what it was. I was just zoning out, listening to music, and now my heart is racing. And I look at the screen behind me, nothing. I look outside and I'm like, the only way our flight should be canceled is because the plane melted because it's so hot outside. <laughs> Plane's there, we're good. And I look back at Tim and as he's walking away towards the Delta terminal, he looks back at me with that smile like, I just got you. And that's exactly what he did. In that moment, I was just like, I need you to tell me the truth. Like, if I have to rebook flights for 77 people, we're going to be here another week. Flight was good. It was on time. It was perfect. But have you been there before, though, where you want to be told the truth? Maybe, maybe you've been caught up in a prank and a friend got you. Or maybe you have a legitimate question and you're like, I don't know the answer to this. And you're trying to decipher what is true and what is false. And so our series this month is Tell Me the Truth. And that's exactly what we're going to try and do is answer questions. Uh, There's no shortage of questions throughout life. And I don't even think there's a shortage of questions when it comes to faith. I have questions and I'm sure you have questions. And so we're going to try and answer some of those. Some of those will be on Sunday morning. Some will be periodically throughout the week on video. But I want to jump right in with you guys this morning. Feet first, jump right in. And so the question this morning is, okay, how do I read my Bible? And this is really foundational for how we're going to to answer questions throughout the series. How do I read my Bible? And you might be a person that's like, am I even approaching reading my Bible correctly? Because I haven't seen a manual out there that says, hey, this is exactly how you need to read your Bible. If you do X, Y, and Z, steps one, two, and three, then you're going to get it. I haven't seen that. And so how do I approach reading scripture? Or we can even ask another question. We can turn that question a little bit. And is reading scripture important? Or is it that important? And so I hope that I can answer both of those questions with what I believe to be true, but also with, with what I see as evident in scripture. See, reading the Bible can be difficult. I mean, Let's think about it. There's 66 books of the Bible, 66 separate books of the Bible all come together to create the Bible as we know it. There's 40-ish authors. That's a weird answer, but there's 40-ish authors. There's things, there's people, there's multiple authors to some books. For some books, we don't exactly know who the author is, so there's 40-ish authors. The Bible contains so many different genres, from legal documents to songs to poetry to parables and more. And so you're like, how do I approach this? How do I read this? And so as I was thinking about that this week, I started compiling a list of why the Bible, why scripture can be difficult for me. And I asked some trusted friends too. I asked them the question, okay, how, how is scripture difficult for you? And so I want to share some of those with you and maybe you can relate to one of them or maybe you can relate to multiples of them. But if you're like me and you're not a reader, if picking up a book and just reading is difficult, then sometimes reading scripture will be difficult or maybe the busyness of life is easy to get caught up in, right? There's so many things to do, chores to be done, things around the house, meetings to attend, family. And so sometimes the busyness of life just catches up to us. And so reading scripture can sometimes fall less and less 
on the, on the priority scale. Or, or sometimes you might be like, I, I start reading my Bible, I start reading scripture, and then I'm easily sidetracked. <laughs> and I'm thinking about the grass that needs mowed or whatever other chore. For me, it's feeding chickens. Now, that's a new one. <laughs> but you start reading scripture, and then you're thinking about something else. Or maybe the Bible has always come across as confusing and daunting to you. So you're like, where do I start? Is there a start? Is there an end? And so those are questions and reasons why you would stay away from Scripture. Or maybe Scripture comes, feels like a chore and an obligation more than it does a priority. Or maybe for you, you read Scripture and you're just like, is God here in this moment? Is God present with me? What am I supposed to hear? What am I supposed to feel? And so I think an answer, at least partially, is found through the life of Jesus. And so I want to go through scripture with you guys this morning. I want to tell you a story of the life of Jesus as it played out in Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. But before we open up our Bibles, before we even look at scripture, I think there's a couple questions that we have to ask ourselves. And I think this is so important for us to be able to to begin to understand scripture and begin to get the full worth of, of what Scripture is and what it says. And, and some of those questions are, who is the author? Do we know who the author is? Who is the author and why is he or she writing this? I mean, Scripture, the books of the Bible, they were letters sent to, to cities, towns, churches. They were read aloud. And so who's the audience? And a question I like to ask is, what's the tension because generally there is some sort of tension. What's the tension? What are, what are people, the audience, what are they feeling socially? What are they feeling culturally? So we have to ask these questions because it'll help us from cherry picking scripture and using scripture in a way that it was never meant to be used. And so for Matthew, we can attribute Matthew to being written by Matthew. It's one of four gospels. The Gospels tell the story and the life of the ministry of Jesus. There's four Gospels. Matthew's just one of them. And I believe Matthew to be written to a mainly Jewish audience, which will be really important as we go through Scripture this morning. And so as we journey towards Matthew chapter 4, we have to realize that Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been commissioned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus. So if there was ever an official start to the ministry of Jesus, that would have been considered that. Jesus has been commissioned to do ministry. And so we enter into chapter four. And so I want to read a few verses with you. And let's start in verse one. And it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus has been baptized. He has been commissioned by the Holy Spirit. Now he is being led by the same Holy Spirit that came down upon him in baptism. is being led by that Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. It's interesting. We have to note these things. These things are important because it wasn't like Jesus was just wandering in the wilderness. Jesus wasn't just wandering in the desert and all of a sudden this, the devil, Satan, shows up and says, I'm just going to tempt Jesus while he's here. No, Jesus has been led into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, I never want to be led someplace to be intentionally tempted, but that's exactly what's happening here. Why? I think it's because God is showing humanity that Jesus, his son, is fully human, but also fully capable to resist sin 
and in turn defeat evil. And so sure, yes, Satan is absolutely going to give Jesus 100%. He's going to give him his best shot because if Satan can defeat Jesus, if Satan can entice Jesus to sin, then it would destroy the ministry of Jesus. So this is an important time in Scripture. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. He is hungry. I mean, fasting is going with little food, with little water, to be hyper-focused in your relationship with God and your relationship with the Father. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus has been sent into the wilderness by the Father. And now, when he's at his weakest, when he is hungry, when he is tired, it's when Satan shows up to begin to try and wreak havoc. And this is what it says. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So right from the get-go, Satan comes to Jesus and goes right after his physical need. Jesus, you are hungry? Fix it. He says, if you are the son of God. So he's not questioning the authority of Jesus. He's not questioning if Jesus actually is the son of God. He's not questioning if Jesus actually is the Messiah. No, he's saying, since you are the son of God, since you are divine, since you are all powerful, then fill your belly. You're hungry. You're tired. And I know when I am hungry and when I am tired, when I am at those points is when I am most exhausted. And it's the moments that I fail and fall the most. And that's where Jesus is at, and Satan comes right at it. You're hungry, so fix it. And so you start to wonder, okay, what's, what's the real temptation here? What is, what's the sin here? I mean, later in the ministry of Jesus, he feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. So is, is, is that the sin? Can't be, right? Because Jesus does that later on in ministry. Now see, Satan was tempting Jesus to fix his physical need independent of the Father. Jesus has been sent into the wilderness to be close to the Father. To be close to the Father. And if Satan could entice Jesus to fail because of something as little as bread, he would have won. And so this this is the answer of Jesus. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus' response to Satan is scripture. Jesus quotes scripture. This is really important for us to understand because there are a lot of parallels between the dialogue that Jesus is having with Satan all the way back into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy with the Israelites and Moses. And at this point, God has given the Israelites manna. But for them to grasp hold of that and for them to furthermore enjoy it, they must listen and obey God carefully. Essentially, listen to God. Lean in to his will and you'll be provided for. And so the response of Jesus is interesting. For it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus is saying, my my trust in the Father is perfect. If he has led me to this place of deprivation, if he has led me to this place of fasting, if he has led me to this place of temptation, then I'm not going to change it because I trust that I'll be provided for 
when the time is right. And so in that moment, Jesus stands strong and stands firm to a temptation that when you're hungry, it would have been easy to just fix. This is what happens next. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so Satan right there recognizes this trust that Jesus has with his father. And so he's like, okay, you trust him, now prove it. So Jesus is at the highest point in the temple. Satan says, throw yourself down. You trust your father, that he'll provide your physical need for your hunger. Great. Prove to me that you really trust him spiritually and toss yourself down. Do something so incredible. Do something heroic and toss yourself down and allow God to swoop in and save you. Satan quotes to Jesus scripture, Psalm 91. It's a psalm of trust. It's a psalm of God's protection over his people. That psalm is absolutely real and it's absolutely true. And so Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus is going back to the Old Testament. He's going back to Deuteronomy. And at this point for the Israelites, they are anxious. They are clamoring. There's murmurs of, is God going to provide us with the water that we need? And so they begin to test God. And any time that we test God in that manner, it is evident that we really don't trust God. And so Jesus is saying, no, my, my trust isn't only perfect with my physical hunger. My trust is perfect spiritually, and I don't need to do anything heroic like toss myself down. Could God save Jesus if he had done that? Absolutely. But why test God in such a manner when your trust is pure and perfect? Satan quotes scripture to Jesus. Jesus replies, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I think this is so important for us to realize that Satan has quoted scripture to Jesus, absolutely real and true. It is there. We can read it. But he pulls one verse. He cherry picks one verse to try and entice sin into the life of Jesus. But Jesus is able to understand the big picture, the whole picture. And so he's able to stand firm and stand strong and resist temptation and resist sin because he knows the full breadth of the word of God. So if we can continue, verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So this is interesting because for the moment you're kind of like, Satan, did you just forget who you're talking to? Like Satan, you are talking to the Son of God, you've, you've acknowledged that. You're talking to the Messiah, and so you th really think that the Son of God's gonna bow down and worship you? See, I, I think Satan has thrown two of his best shots at Jesus. You're hungry? Just fix it. You trust him? Prove it. Now, Jesus, I mean, see 
for so far, so long. All this can be yours if you bow down and worship me. See, see, Satan understood that Jesus came to rescue the lost. Satan understood that Jesus came to inherit the kingdoms. So Jesus, here it is. Here are all, the, here are all those kingdoms. Why wait? Why wait? Why wait years? Why suffer that cross that's coming later? It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. So why wait? can be yours right now. Just bow down and worship me. And so for something that seems so bold, for something that seemed like a Hail Mary by Satan, for something that seemed like Satan's just grasping at straws begins to be a little bit more tempting and we can begin to feel the emotions. Remember, Jesus is hungry and he is tired and Satan is tempting him. Just have it now. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So once again, Jesus responds with, It is written. Goes back to Deuteronomy. Worship God only. Three temptations, and Jesus responds, starts his response the same way each time. It is written, it is written, it is written. And so Satan leaves Jesus, he flees Jesus. And I think it's so interesting that we can see the magnitude, we can see the exhaustion in Jesus, we can see the burden that he was carrying, what he felt in this moment, because the angels came to attend to him. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what, if anything, they provided Jesus. But it shows me he is human and he was feeling. And that this wasn't just easy for Jesus. That his father, that God didn't just put him in a position where it was going to be so easy for him to succeed. Jesus was put into a place of being challenged. And it took all of his being to think through and stand firm and resist these temptations. See, Satan is deceptive. He's the master of all liars. He's smart. He's crafty. This is the same Satan, the same devil that enticed Adam and Eve, the first humans, to walk the earth, to fall into sin over piece of fruit. I mean, Adam and Eve seemed to have everything, yet the serpent, the Satan, this master of all liars is able to tempt them and entice them into sin. And we have this battle played out between Jesus and Satan, and Jesus is able to stand strong because if Satan would have enticed Jesus to sin on any of those three, the cross, the resurrection, it would have been all for naught. And this should, be, this should be a push for us to wrestle with the word of God. Because that's exactly what I see here playing out with Jesus and Satan. They are wrestling over the word 
of God. They are wrestling with it. And when we wrestle with the Word of God, when we are willing to ask questions, we are going to learn Scripture. It is okay to have questions. It is okay. It is okay to not fully understand the depth of the Word of God. It's okay. But we should wrestle with it. We should devote ourselves to the full truth. Remember, Satan is a master of all liars, yet he knows Scripture. He quotes it to Jesus. But Jesus is able to stand firm and strong because he has devoted himself to the big picture, to the whole word of God. And where we get trapped up in today's word, world, is it's, where it's easy to, to open up our Bibles. It's easy to, to, to read a chapter in a book. It's easy to even read a singular verse and say, oh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to put it in my pocket for the next time that I'm in an argument with my spouse. Or it's easy to, to read scripture and say, oh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it in my pocket for the next time I'm in a political argument on Facebook. It's easy to say, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this because I like this and I like that and that sounds good. And so next time that somebody makes me uncomfortable, next time I'm in an argument, then I'm just going to present these singular verses. And while those verses are true and they are real, it doesn't mean that we're using that scripture in the way that it was originally intended to be used. And so we need to be a church, we need to be a people that are striving to understand the whole word of God. And so if you're like me, though, you might be sitting here and say, okay, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Son of God. I'm not the Messiah. And so how am I supposed to just know the whole Word of God? How am I supposed to know the big picture? Because I have questions, and I have anxieties, and I have doubts, and lies fill my head. How am I supposed to know that? How am I supposed to know I'm not just cherry-picking Scripture? And this is where we have to be open and honest and vulnerable and ask God, God, what do I need to hear right here, right now? As I read this, God, this might make me uncomfortable. God, I might, as a matter of fact, I might just disagree with this. But God, what do I need to hear right now? And when we wrestle with the word of God, we're going to learn that. When we ask God to, to give us that insight, I believe he's going to grant us that insight. I have two boys. Cameron is three and a half. He's going to be four in November. Time goes by so fast. And I have Cole. He's one and a half, a little under one and a half. And those boys mean so much to me. They are my world in so many ways. And there's a few things I want my boys to know. And here's a few things I want you to know. I want my boys to know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want them to know that there is a God that loves them and desires them. I want my boys to be a light in a dark world. I want my boys to be able to hear truth in a world that is filled with white noise. I want my boys to be able to love people fiercely as we see Jesus love people fiercely. Those are the things that I want. But those things that I want for my boys 
I also want for myself, and I want you to know, I want the church to know, I want the world to know, because I, I believe that this book is filled with life, and it's filled with truth, and it doesn't always make sense to me, but I want to wrestle with it so that my boys will wrestle with it. I want to wrestle with it because I want you guys to wrestle with it with me. When I read that in Matthew chapter 4, it is evident to me that there is a battle going on. And let's not be naive in thinking that the moment that Satan left Jesus, that he fled Jesus, that he left this world, because he didn't. I am tempted every day. I fail too often. Maybe you can share in that feeling with me. But when I arm myself with truth, when I wrestle with the word of God, I am arming myself in a way that I can take one more step towards victory. That's what this book is. It's a book of victory. And as the church, let's arm ourselves in a way that we can together march towards victory. I want to I read you one, one last scripture. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is your armor. In a world filled with darkness and noise, in a world where sometimes getting answers to questions is difficult, this is truth. Seek truth. Run after truth. Devote yourself to truth. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so thankful for, for these people. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for a people that we can be unified and run after truth together. God, I'm thankful for your son. I'm thankful that he was tempted. I'm even more thankful that he was able to stand firm, stand strong, is able to defeat evil. And God, I pray that we be a people, we be a church that is devoted to running after truth. God, I pray that we are more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. God, we love you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.